we gather as his people and as we seek to worship and honor him, um, a part of our worship this morning is worshiping him through uh, the hearing, the reading, and the preaching of his word. So uh, if you would, would you turn with me in your copy of God's word to Exodus chapter 11. We're going to be considering this morning a theme that was sung of this morning, even a portion in our congregational reading, and something that's made explicit here in these two chapters, considering this lamb that God has provided for us. Exodus chapter 11, let's begin in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, yet one more plague I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, He will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. So Moses said, thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl, who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle, there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel." either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come and down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it. With your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. 
and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Having heard God's word, let's now ask that he would help us, that we would faithfully hear his word, that we might receive it, lay it up in our hearts, and practice it in our lives. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the revelation that you've given to us of yourself. We thank you for your kindness towards us, that you've not left us to ourselves, that you've not left us in the dark, but that you have illuminated who you are through the light of your scripture. Father, we pray this morning with your word before us, it's, as it's been read, as we have heard it, it is now in front of us, and we give our attention to it. Lord, help us to receive it as it is, your word to us. We pray that you would not only help us understand concepts and images and, and doctrine, but, oh, Father, would you help us to understand Jesus? Would you help us to understand and to see and to exalt in him? Father, how greatly we need to hear of this lamb that's been slain. And so we pray that you would give us eyes of faith to lay hold of what has been provided for sinners in your Son. And Father, we do especially pray for those who do not yet know you as the Lamb slain, that, Lord, you would be so gracious this morning that you would bring glory to yourself in the saving of sinners. We pray, Father, that you would edify us, your church, that we would be not only assured but most confident that though you are the God of judgment, that you are the God of mercy. So help us to hear and to receive to apply all of these things that they might bear good fruit in our lives, we pray. Amen. Well, as we make our way through the book of Exodus, we are gradually being exposed to the God who makes himself known. Not only has he revealed himself to Moses back in chapter 3, the bush that burned but was not consumed, we keep reading and we're finding that this God also makes himself known through these mighty acts of judgment that the plagues that were brought upon the Egyptians were not merely just punishments, they were not merely just judgments, they were not mere displays of God's sovereign power, they were purposeful. That through these mighty acts, you might know who I am. And so as we hear the story of these various plagues, that's our clue that we're meant to hear something of who this God is. Through these judgments, we learn something of his power over creation. We learn something of his jealousy over his people. We see his sovereignty even over the human heart. We see his perfect justice. And we also hear something of this mercy that he promises. But all of this could be summed up in one word. And that would be the word glory. God did all of this to display his glory, which is just the sum total of his parts. It's the sum total of his, excuse me, his perfections. 
So that means the ten plagues that were brought upon Pharaoh in Egypt were all ultimately a plan to magnify his glory through the salvation of his people. Now this emphasis of God working for his glory, it shouldn't surprise us that we would find it here in Exodus because it's actually the familiar pattern that's woven through all of Scripture. God working for his glory. I mean, think back even to God making everything. Why did he make the world? Psalm 19 tells us that it was to declare his glory, to display his worth. Well, why did he make you? Why did he make me? Well, Isaiah 43 says, for the same reason, you and I were created for his glory. And why does God save his people from the bondage of sin? Well, God determines to save his own people in order that we might be unto the praise of his glorious grace. In all of this, God is working for his glory. And so within the revelation of this glory through the deliverance of his people in Exodus 11 and 12, what do we find at the center of this glorious working? A lamb. A lamb that was slain. So what does this tell us? If we want to know something of the glory of God, we must see it through the provision of a lamb that was slain. To understand God's glory, one more aspect of his worth, of his perfection, his might, we are given an image that we might, through that story, through that gift, understand something more of his glory. So this morning, let's consider the significance of this Passover. We need to take a little bit of time to consider the uniqueness of this last plague. And we'll spend the remainder, the majority of our time, really, considering the centrality of this Passover lamb. The significance of Passover, the uniqueness of this last plague, and then the centrality of the lamb, the Passover lamb. Let's go back and just consider what's happening here. What's the significance of this Passover? Well, just by passing note, as we read through our Old Testament, we find that God goes to great lengths, not only to communicate directly, as he does to Moses, saying, this is who I am. God also, through his scriptures, communicates indirectly, through images, through patterns, even through architecture, as you come to the understanding of the tabernacle, the architecture of the temple, that all of those details that you may be scratching your head as to why is there so much detail, well, God is speaking. He's communicating directly and indirectly. And this Passover here is no different. It's an event, but it's not just an event. The significance is seen, first of all, in that it's meant to make a distinction. That's what we read in the first 10 verses of chapter 11. Chapter 11, verses 1 through 10, sets out this idea that there's going to be a distinction made. Notice how this unfolds. In verse 3, God makes a distinction by he gives his people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Do you remember who these people were? Before, these very same Egyptians, the taskmasters, they beat them mercilessly. They were cruel and harsh. God did that. And now God has favor upon these people And that he causes the Egyptians to say, can you go and just take all of this? 
here, take, take this, and you're going to need this. And he gives them favor in the sight of the Egyptians. He's making a distinction. And then in verse 6, God explains what's going to happen as a result of this night and what will become inescapably obvious. Look down at verse 6. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never has been nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. So what that tells us is that there's something within this final plague, this tenth plague, this Passover night, that served to draw a clear line. The significance of this Passover is that it was to make a distinction between these are my people, these are not my people. But secondly, the significance is seen in also in the preparation of this particular meal. We read this in chapter 12 and the instruction that goes through verse 13. The preparation of a meal speaks to the significance of what this Passover is. As we read through it, what did you hear? Well, you probably heard number one, it was, it was a sacrificial meal and that they were to take a lamb. Not just any lamb, it was to be without blemish, a year old, a male. And the purpose of taking this lamb was to kill it. This lamb dies to sustain a household. In some ways, that's God's provision of everything that he's given to us, is it not? We go to the grocery store and somebody has done the first few parts, but that God has provided in order that we might be sustained. But this particular meal, this particular lamb, this particular slaughtering, it was to sustain them for a meal. They would be nourished and fed by it for their midnight journey. You're going to be leaving. You need to eat. And God says, this meal is going to sustain you by the means of a sacrifice. But it was not just a sacrificial meal. You get the sense here, this, this means something. This is a symbolic meal. Even in the unleavened bread, it reminded them, there's no time for this to rise. Just put it, go, we got to leave. Unleavened bread spoke to it of the necessity of leaving quickly. And the bitter herbs, where else did we hear this word bitter? Well, Back in chapter 1, there was this bitter service that they were enslaved to. And so now they take the bitter herbs and they eat with the unleavened bread. It was to be eaten in haste. This is not a lounge around, take your time kind of meal. In fact, you need to have your belt on. You need to have your sandals firmly fastened. Have your staff in hand. You're eating with the other hand because at any moment you are leaving. You are to be watching. You are to be prepared. You're to be ready to head out because this land is not your home and get ready. So all of this is very much symbolic, isn't it? You can probably already hear some of these themes that unfold throughout Scripture as who are God's people? What are they to be like? What has God prepared for them? We'll see more of that. But also the significance of this Passover is seen as it's given really to set up a remembrance. Look back down at your Bibles at verse 14. This meal was to be given as a remembrance 
This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove the leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done in these days. But what everyone, um, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared for you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he's a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places you shall eat unleavened bread. Then jump ahead to verse 43. There's this, again, final instruction concerning this meal that's to be set up as a remembrance. Verse 43, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take of the flesh outside of the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All of the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. And the people of Israel did, just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. The importance of the first Passover, it's meant to be understood in that it's God establishing an annual feast. This seven-day feast, it began and it ended with a holy assembly of God's people. It was marked by the eating of this Passover meal and the removal of all leaven from the homes. And this was to be celebrated on the one-year anniversary of their being brought out of Egypt and every year following. It would be repeated each year. And it was actually to mark off the start of the calendar year. How do you make sense of where you're at in this year? Well, when's Passover? Oh, it's only a few months away. Oh, we just had Passover a few months ago. It was literally to be the marker that would say, this is where the new year begins, and it will begin with this feast. If you look back at verse 25, a major reason for this is that each year families would anticipate, just as we hold feasts of some sort different than this, but how often do each year around November, early December, our kids begin to anticipate? They begin to think. And maybe they even ask, why are we doing this again? God in his fatherly wisdom knew something of that sort of thing would happen within 
these homes within Israel because in verse 25, when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as He promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it's the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for He passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when He struck the Egyptian but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. This was to be a remembrance and a memorial to mark out who God's people are. What we're saying is that how he brought his people out is just as important as the fact that they were brought out. It's an intentional pause. For those of you that read sheet music, And that rest that is inserted there within the measure, you know this is an intentional pause. We need to not move quickly here, but rest. Before you are sent out, there is this intentional pause. Don't leave too quickly. Not just yet. Take the lamb. Sacrifice the lamb. Eat. And tell your children each year why we do that. Because we need to be reminded of what exactly this is. Not just simply that we were brought out, but how did God bring us out? The tenth and final plague is a curse of death. As God promises that the firstborn in each home will most certainly die. The significance of this night was to be set off by the significance of this meal. If you want to understand what it means to belong to God's people, then you would need to understand what it means to participate in this meal. But let's consider, secondly, the uniqueness of this plague. Because there's not only significance in the meal, there's some unique element of this plague, the tenth plague that comes upon them. The tenth and final plague comes down upon Egypt just as God warned All the way back in chapter 4, what it says in chapter 4, verse 22, God instructs Moses, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I'll kill your firstborn son. That's how this all started. Moses setting the terms, speaking for the Lord. And keep in mind, again, the purpose of these plagues. Chapter 7, verse 5, The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. What is the, the purpose? Not just to deliver God's people, but that they would know the deliverer is me. Now, on one hand, what's happening here? Well, On one hand, this plague is just like the other nine. God has been making a division between his people and Pharaoh's people. And we hear this same language in what we just read in chapter 11, setting up the final plague. Look back at verse 7 of chapter 11. That you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. That's actually been happening all along. Remember, we saw this a few weeks ago, that you may know, that you may know, that you may know. And at the heart of that knowledge is that God makes a distinction between his people and those who are not his people. So on one hand, this plague is just like the other nine. But on the other hand, 
this plague is absolutely unlike the other nine. Because now what do we hear? That the lives of the Israelites are in danger too. Exodus 12, verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. I will strike down all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And then skip down to verse 23. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. What's this saying? It's saying this is plagues actually unlike all the other nine in that Israel would not be spared by the mere fact of their ethnicity. Do you remember in plagues past where they were in the land of Goshen? Their livestock, their bodies were preserved, but all around them, the Egyptians, the plague fell upon them. But this plague is different. Just because you are of Israel, it does not mean you're safe. They were under the threat of death too. This means that the Exodus was not a story of God saving the good guys and judging the bad guys. Nobody's safe on their own merit. No one is fit to dwell in the presence of the Lord when he comes in judgment. Friend, this is such an important principle for you to understand. Because if you've begun to think that Christians are the good guys and that non-Christians are the bad guys, you're severely mistaken. There is no one good but God. And Christians are simply sinners whom God has had mercy upon. This is why there's such an emphasis in Scripture calling all men and women and children to repent and believe. When the New Testament refers to God's people as saints, it has nothing to do with what they have merited before God. It actually has everything to do with God and what He's done in His grace for them. And these themes are found even here in the the 10th plague. During this last plague, a distinction will be made. But as we read through this, we're meant to ask, okay, on the basis of what? How will God distinguish between his people that will find mercy and those who are not his people and will find judgment? What is the basis of the distinction? Well, that brings us to our final point. It has everything to do with the centrality of the Passover lamb. Look back at chapter 12 and listen to verse 21. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go, 
and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until that morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come into the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it's the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. The people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was... A great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord. As you have said, take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and be gone and bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent. With the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up and their cloaks and their shoulders. And the people of Israel had also done as Moses had told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold and jewelry and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked. And thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait. Nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So that this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. So like the Egyptians, Israel deserved judgment. But unlike the Egyptians, they would be saved by grace through faith. How so? Well, chapter 12 makes it quite clear. The focal point of this final judgment was to be centered upon a lamb. And a lamb is an image that we can trace through all of Scripture because our entire story is marked out 
by a lamb. And this is our story, Christian. Abraham and Isaac go up on a mountain. And God provides for himself the lamb. Here at the Exodus, deliverance would only come through the lamb. The celebration of the Passover feast year after year. The death of the lamb, front and center. John the Baptist's declaration as he steps on the scene. Behold the lamb. The book of Revelation The very center of it, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the Lamb slain, the wrath of the Lamb, the victory of the Lamb. Friends, from Genesis to Revelation, our story is centered upon this Lamb that was slain. And what we see in Exodus 12 is that this Lamb will be the distinctive mark that marks out and ensures the identity of God's people. God was coming into the land as sovereign king and as judge. And Israel's problem is no longer, how do we escape Pharaoh? Their problem now is, how shall we remain safe in the presence of Yahweh? And this is a repeated theme in Exodus. The unsheltered, unprotected, unmediated people cannot stand in the presence of a holy God. When God's presence is among us, left to ourselves, we are not safe. There are two nations in the land of Egypt, but they'd actually both been resistant and rebellious to God's word. They rejected Moses. They didn't believe his word. God comes and judgment, and no one is safe. And so the blood of the Lamb is to be this distinguishing mark between those who feared God and those who did not. So what is so important about blood? Do you read this and scratch your head? Do you read this and hear this to be archaic, primitive, seditious? Why the emphasis on blood? Well, it represents the taking of a life. It's to serve as a sign. Death is going to come to every household. A life will be taken in every household. The question is whose blood will be spilled? Whose death will it be? And the key verse in all of this is in chapter 12, verse 13. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. The blood is a sign. The blood is a sign for, number one, for God's people. The significance of the lamb as a substitute, that would not be lost on the household. Because what were they to do? Well, the lamb was to be chosen on the day, the tenth day. And then once the lamb was chosen, it was to be taken into the home. And for four days, you would have to feed the lamb, protect the lamb. This is a lamb that's without blemish. It's going to be eaten. You need to make sure that it's cared for 
And then, when the time would come, the father would cut the lamb's throat, spill the blood, and explain to the family this blood in the place of you. This blood, this lamb, will die for you. And all over the land that night, you would have heard the cries of anguish as the Egyptians mourned the death of the heir in each home, from the greatest to the least. But on every house that's marked by blood, there was no cry of judgment. Because they looked up on the doorposts, having the assurance that they would be safe when the destroyer comes because of the blood of the lamb and judgment would literally skip over them, would pass over this house. This was to be a sign for God's people. The blood was to serve as a sign. It was a visual testimony that points to the reality of judgment and mercy. That's what a sign is, isn't it? A visual testimony to a reality. Is there judgment? Yeah, look at the blood. There's judgment. Will there be mercy? Yes, look to the blood. God said, this is a sign. It will be a sign for you, but notice it was also a sign for God. God promised that when he saw the blood, he would pass over that home, not cursing that home with death. Because the blood testified, someone has already died in this home. The penalty has already been paid. The house was spared because of this sign of the blood. A sacrifice was made that satisfied the terms of the judgment. And it was a sacrifice that absolved absolved the judgment that was deserved. Now, to read that God would see this as a sign, it cannot mean that God was wandering the streets at midnight and stumbling his way through, uncertain of which house to curse and which one to pass over, and then he suddenly sees this hind and stays his hand. That cannot mean what's happening here to an almighty, infinite, eternal omniscient God. The language of God seeing it as a sign, friends, that's accommodating language for the sake of communicating to God's people so that they could understand what is going to be happening that night. Well, it's a sign for you, but it's also going to be a sign for me. Think of it like this. Because when they inside the home ask, how will God know whom to pass over and whom to judge, Dad? God assured us he'll see the sign. And so it's this accommodating picture to say, you can look and know that you are safe, and when I look and see the sign, I will know to pass over you. Meaning that the confidence in pending judgment to come and the assurance that God will see them through comes through the covering of the blood. Confidence and assurance because of the blood. So how central is the Passover lamb? It is the most central image in the Bible. 
the very center of our Bibles and the substance of our faith, the grounds of our assurance has everything to do with the Passover lamb. And just in case we are maybe that blunt and that dense, Paul tells us straight away in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. That we can't miss it. This was not just a meal. This was not just a lamb. This was to set the stage for the Lamb of God so that we would be prepared through these images and stories and illustrations that we would understand when John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world from every nation, tribe, tongue, people, and tongue. That's what he means. We would understand, oh, the Lamb. That's a sign for me. That's a sign for God. That I find assurance and confidence through the shedding of this blood. You see, on that night, there are some very familiar patterns that were laid down that God saves His people by grace through faith. Graciously providing for them and then putting their faith in His provision. What this means is that as we look to our Bible to frame our understanding of God, as we seek to understand who we are, and as we seek to understand how we are right with this God, we do so through the lens of what we call substitutionary atonement. Jesus, the Passover lamb, becomes our substitute by shedding his blood, covering us from the judgment we deserve. Romans 5 verse 9, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Friends, our problem is the same problem as the Israelites. No one is safe in the unmediated presence of God. It's only by the blood that we shall be saved from the wrath of God. Ephesians 1.7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Or we could go to 1 Peter 1.18, Knowing that you were ransomed from your futile ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Do not be fooled. Apart from the blood of Christ, death and judgment looms over your head just as it did that night in Egypt. Don't be deceived. Your parents cannot save you. Your good intentions will not rescue you. Your ignorance will not excuse you. Only the blood of the Lamb will spare you. And Christian, don't be fooled. Because of the blood of Christ, the assurance of your salvation is sure. Death passes over you. Mercy has come. 
the curse and the bitter judgment that you most certainly deserve has been absolved. Christian, you approach this Yahweh as your heavenly father. Not as your judge. Not fearing condemnation. But boldly approaching because he promises mercy and he gives grace. The Lord continues to make a distinction today. This wasn't just relegated to the past. This isn't just an Exodus idea. God continues to make a distinction today. It's a distinction between those who shall receive judgment and those who will receive mercy. That's the distinction that's represented in this room. Either judgment or mercy. And just as with Israel, the deciding factor is the blood that covers you or does not. What we're meant to hear and apply as we read this portion of Scripture is that the only way to be rescued from the judgment that we deserve is through the death of Jesus, the Lamb that has been slain, the Lamb that's been provided. God calls us to trust in the blood of His Son as an act of faith. We put our trust in Christ's death, believing that God's promise is sufficient to cleanse us from our sin and to save us from the judgment that we deserve. This was the image that was laid out that night in Egypt, and it's the promise of the gospel this very morning. As God's people, we put our faith in a promise. Judgment is coming, but we are safe. According to the promise of God, who does not lie. We put our faith in his provision. We're not coming to God on the basis of what we haven't done. I'm not like them. God, clearly. We're not coming to God on the basis of how long it's been since we did that one thing that we're so ashamed of. We are not coming to God on the basis of how serious we are in our religious devotion. We come to God placing our faith in the provision of the Lamb. You've promised. You've provided. That's where my assurance is. That's where my confidence is. Death passes over us, and we're safe. Because God gives what he demands. It's a principle you'll find all through Scripture. That God graciously gives what he demands. The Father provided His own Son. The Son willingly gave His own life. And the Spirit applies this to His people. There's nothing left for us to do but to respond in faith, taking refuge under the blood of the Lamb who was slain for the guilty. Have you done that? Are you resting in that? Is the Spirit of God, even this morning, pressing upon you, convicting you of your sin, of your hardness, of your disobedience, bringing to mind even specific incidents 
this week or 10 years ago. The question then is, will you turn away from that sin, confessing, forsaking, repenting, and will you turn in faith, believing in God's promise that the blood is sufficient to save you from the judgment that that sin deserves? Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed once and for all. And so as God's people, let's go to him now as we seek refuge in him. Worthy are you, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. It's to you, the one who sits on the throne. It's to you, the Lamb, that we pray and we give all blessing, that we give all honor, that we give all glory and all might, and that what we shall do forever and ever. Father, thank you for glorifying yourself through the giving of your Son, which becomes your people's great assurance and confidence. Lord, we rest in this provision. We pray that we would know all the joy that comes in hearing the goodness that we are passed over for judgment and that we are the full recipients of your favor and your blessing. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen.